Open your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 16. Now, while you're finding your place in 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, I want to mention three things quickly that will help you as you do your Bible reading each day. In fact, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a three-year seminary course in less than three minutes in this area. And I'm going to condense it down to three words. If you just jot these three words down, it will prove to be very helpful to you, and the Bible time you spend reading will be very meaningful to you. Word number one, author. You always want to know who wrote the book in the Bible you're reading. Now you say, well, the Holy Spirit inspired people. Actually, you know, God wrote it. Well, that's true. But the Bible teaches us that God selected, chose holy men, and that all Scripture is inspired by God. In other words, the Holy Spirit directed different men to write the Bible. None of this is something where a man just said, no matter how godly he was, I'm going to write some stuff and they'll put it in the Bible. No, this when the Bible speaks, God speaks, but you want to know who God chose. It becomes very important. Number two, second word, recipient. Who are the recipients of the, I mean, who did he write this to? And word number three is reason. Like, what, why did they write it? What is the purpose of this book? Now, with that little brief word, let's just take 1 Corinthians where we are this morning. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. Like, who is the author? Well, the author is the Apostle Paul. You only have to read the first word in the first chapter to, to, to know the answer to that. Number two, who are the recipients? Well, the members of the church in Corinth. That's who he was writing to. And then number three, what, what was the reason? Why did he write the book? Well, he wrote the book to give answers. Now, here's the bottom line. Listen very carefully. The Apostle Paul, and you may want to jot this down, in, in uh, Acts chapter 18, you read, it's a very exciting chapter, actually. He was in Corinth, and he was there for 18 months, and he started this church. He started the church in Corinth. And he stayed there and was pastor of that church for a year and a half. He didn't stay very long. But he left there after a year and a half. And when he left, he went to a city named Ephesus. Today it's in modern day Turkey. And so here he is in Ephesus. And he was there, you read this in Acts chapter 19. He was in Ephesus three years. Now, here's the problem. This young church that he started back in Corinth, which was a very immoral city, they practiced prostitution as part of their temple worship. It was just a corrupt, corrupt immoral people. Well, that's where he was. But some of those people had turned from that, had trusted the Lord Jesus, and they'd formed this church. Well, the church was having all kinds of problems. Well, what they did, they wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul. He was now in Ephesus to ask him to give guidance in helping them solve the problems they were having. And they got some little delegation of people to take the letter to the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. Now, here's the problem. We do not have the letter that they sent to the Apostle Paul. But we have the letter he wrote back 
And we know that letter as the book of First Corinthians. It's a very, very exciting thing. So as you read through the book of First Corinthians, even though we don't have the letter, we don't know the questions, we have the answers. So when you read the answers, you can pretty much know what the questions were. Now, I think that's why God chose the apostle Paul. Now, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 at near the end of the letter, near the end of the letter. Uh, let's look in verse 8. Paul said, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And then in verse 9, he said, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. I wish the apostle Paul had been able to say to them, a great and effective door has opened to me period. But he has no period. There's a comma and the conjunction. He was not through in his statement. He said, but with this great and open door, Paul said, what I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing many adversaries. And he was. Now let's look in a word or two in verse number nine. This word translated great comes from a Greek word, mega. You hear people talk about mega church, large church. It means huge. It means massive. What the apostle Paul is saying in his letter, I'm going to tarry here at Ephesus to Pentecost because what's happening here is a huge, massive, and look what else he says, a great and effective door. This word effective depicts uh, uh, a special a power. It signifies a power. And then door is, is a metaphor that Paul uses to talk about a unique opportunity. So here's what he's saying. In this pagan city, and what made Ephesus a pagan city was in Ephesus, there's this great temple. The Greek name, the Greek god was Artemis, and the Roman name was Diana. And most of us know of that temple as the temple of Diana. And I've been to Ephesus two or three times in my life uh, on the Paul's Journeys trip. And we go to Ephesus and we see the ruins of this massive temple of Diana. And she was the fertility god. And so all the people there worshiped Diana. Well, here's what happened. The apostle Paul comes. He begins to preach that Christ is the true God. Diana is not the true God. And many of these people begin to be convicted and the Holy Spirit drew them unto God and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so when that began to happen, now you can read this in Acts chapter 19. The big business was the silversmiths and what they would do, they would make these little images of Diana and they would sell them, and people from all over would come to Ephesus to buy them. But when people began to not worship Diana, it hurt business, it hurt the economy. And one of the silversmiths in Acts chapter 19 named Demetrius, he called a meeting and told all the people that were in that business, he said, listen, we need to meet. We need to do something. This man, Paul, is causing chaos and he's hurting our business. We've got to get him out of town. And so they almost drug Paul into this huge outdoor amphitheater. I've been in the amphitheater. But Paul's friend said, Paul, don't, you can't go in there. They'll kill you. And, and then another man got that right kind of under control. But Paul very soon thereafter left Ephesus and went on to what God had for him next. Now, I, I say that to say this. What the apostle Paul 
discovered almost 2,000 years ago is true today. And here, here's what it is. Open doors are always accompanied by adversaries. And you need to remember that in your private life, in your family life, in our church life. And we'll drill that in just a moment. Now, this word adversaries that you see in verse 9, for a great and effective door is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, the word translated into English is adversaries here in this text. Very, very simply means, it means, a, it means a person or things or a person and things that stand in opposition to what God's plan is. So here's what we need to understand. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's just as true today. When God opens a door of opportunity, we see his plan, and it's a joyous thing. But always get ready, because here's what's going to happen. There will always be people. There will always be things or it may be people and things that will stand in opposition to what God has planned. It never fails. It's always there. And if we don't understand it, we'll be dismayed. You may want to jot down a little scripture in 1 Peter. We shouldn't be surprised at all. But in 1 Peter, in, in chapter, in the very beginning of, of 1 Peter, it, it, in, in chapter 5, in verse number 8, you might want to jot this down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may desire. Now listen carefully. My own conviction, the, the devil did not create this virus. No, no. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's anybody. I've not heard anybody with any biblical authority whatsoever to say the devil did this. But here's what the devil has done and what the devil is doing. The virus is here. And what the devil is doing during this time, he's having various things to stand in opposition to what God has planned. And we deal with this in the church and we deal with this in our private life. Now, I want us to think about that. Uh, you see, uh, we've experienced it in the church, first of all, as I think about the church. Let's go back a moment. I'll go back a month or two. It was Sunday morning, March 1st of this year, that John and Jimmy and I sat on a stool here at the front when it got sermon time, and we shared with the church that Sunday morning the vision that God had given us after uh, probably two plus years of seeking God's clear word about starting a contemporary worship service. We shared it that morning. And um, I'll never forget that morning. In fact, it was in this service, the 11 o'clock service. First, the, the, the first service was very receptive, but the, the 11 o'clock service, uh, they, were, they, were perceptive, they were very receptive indeed. And it just like an affirmation that others had already seen the vision as well. And that was so affirming to me. Well, that was on March the 1st. The next Sunday was March the 8th. Great Sunday in the life of the church. Morning, night. We left that night. Now, we'd heard about this virus out there, but nothing 
we knew nothing about what was really about to be. But be that as it may, for the next 19 Sundays, there was no on-campus church. Like in these years, we've had hurricanes come and you miss a Sunday. We've had flood come, you miss a Sunday. (laughs) Think about missing 19 Sundays. But like on March 8th, I had said to myself, boy, we're going to have a banner year. God's given us a clear vision about the contemporary service. There's an excitement in the church. It's interesting, the giving in the church. Actually, at the end of March the 8th, we were over, we were over $16,000 ahead of our budget. Now, what makes that significant is, is like normally in our years, January is not a great giving month. And February is not a great giving month. So by the time we get to March, we're normally a little bit behind the budget. But we know we're going to catch up as the year goes on. We're going to have Harvest Day. We've got December. Man, this year, we were $16,000 ahead of the new the new 2020 budget. I thought, great day. There's everywhere in the world. Now, let's fast forward. Through last week, we're now behind... That's quite a turnaround, somewhat discouraging. Now, let me quickly say this. We're fine. The people are giving. We're just making adjustments, and, uh, you know, we're going to be fine. But but the truth of the matter is that's that's not anywhere at all like what we would have been had we not had the pandemic. And, of course, we have Harvest Day coming the first Sunday in November. Now, after we had been in this for a while, I said to myself, well, if we can get to harvest day just behind $300,000, we'll catch up in one Sunday because that's, we do good on harvest day. Well, we're now 460 and we'll be, we'll be over a half million dollars time we get to harvest day and we won't catch up, but we'll be catching at catching up. Okay. We'll be making a stab at it and then December will come and we'll hope things will be better and and we're going to be fine. But the point I make is this pandemic has had quite an impact on the church. I mean, but now while that's true, listen carefully. During all this time that we've been like no on-campus no, no on campus services for 19 weeks in a row, we came back in June for three Sundays, then we were closed again, couldn't have any more service. But listen, with attendance, even as we're back about one-third of what we normally have, while that's true, We've had over a hundred people make decisions for Christ and his church that we know about. Praise God. You see, you know, I, I'm a slow learner, but I mean, of course, we got started, man. How are you going to have decisions when there's nobody in the room? I mean, what do you do? Well, after a few weeks of that, I thought, well, wait a minute here. You don't have to be in the room to make a decision. We'll just put a thing up on the screen on the, when people are streaming and say, if you'll send us your name and a phone number and tell us what your decision is, a minister this Sunday afternoon will phone you. We, I never get the first Sunday we did that. And we had two or three people respond. Then the next week, it got to be more and more and more and more. Last Sunday here, there were 20-something people in both services together that stood saying they had just asked Jesus to come into his heart. And so... You know, even though there's not to come forward, there's still some people are joining the church. People are being saved. 
Contemporary service starts two weeks from today. And then I'll tell you what else. We're still learning, but we've already learned some things because of the pandemic that will make our church later on a stronger and a better church and more effective in what we do than we probably would have been had we not been through this. So I already see some good coming out of it, even though it's a very challenging thing as we go through it. Now, what about in our personal life? We're talking about the church. What about in our personal life? Well, you know, the pandemic has, has escalated Uh, people's anxiety, it's escalated people's discouragement, it's escalated people's fear, it's escalated people's worry, it's escalated people's weariness. I mean, that's just some of the things. It It didn't cause all that, but all, I mean, people didn't just start having anxiety when the pandemic came. COVID-19 is not the origin of anxiety. Anxiety has been around a long time. But COVID-19 has really increased the anxiety. It's increased all of that. Now, you know, here's the bottom line. There's nothing the church can do to stop the pandemic. Really, there's not. I mean, there's really nothing we can do to completely resolve the pandemic. We can do things that will help in a lot of different ways, but out there somewhere, there's got to be a vaccine, there's got to be medication, or it's just got to go away. Uh, Apart from those things happening, I mean, you you and I, there's not anything we can do about making it go away or solving that problem. We can protect ourselves. But here's the bottom line. You know, is there a solution to all this? Like, here we are, is there a solution? And the answer is, yes, there is a solution. And I wish you'd just write this down. The solution is to do what Jesus did when he faced an adversary. And you say, well, what did Jesus do? He used scripture. That's what he did. In Matthew chapter 4, after his baptism, Satan took Jesus out into the desert, the wilderness, the Bible calls it, and he tempted him three times. You remember what Jesus, you remember what Jesus said? He used scripture. He said, it is written, and he quoted some Old Testament scripture. Second temptation, what did Jesus do? He used scripture. He said, it is written. Third, same thing. He used scripture. It is written. So now here we are as the church. Well, we have to use our brain, try to figure out what to do. But here's the deal. If, we, if we're just going to use our brain uh, and use whatever we can do, we're going to be bewildered in this whole thing. So what do, what, I'll just tell you what I've done with it as far as the church. I've used Scripture. You say, what Scripture have you used as pastor through this? I've used the Scripture in Matthew chapter number 16, down about verse 18. They're up at Caesarea Philippi, where Mount Hermon is, and Jesus had the disciples there, and he's talking to Peter in a conversation, and he says a very interesting thing to Peter. He said, Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, folks, listen to me. First of all, listen to what Jesus, upon this rock, I'll build my church. The church is his church. It's not my church. 
It's not your church. Now, we, we say my church. Well, we understand what we mean by that. But look, <laughs> Christ died for the church. When Jesus told the disciples that, they didn't even know what a church was. There, there was no church. But he said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Folks, listen to me. The pandemic will not do away with God's church ever. Nor will anything else. It's his church. So I just use scripture. And I use some other scriptures to encourage me there about the church. But then I want to share with you about this whole idea of your personal life. Like maybe, maybe this whole thing, you know, this anxiety, uh, maybe discouragement, uh, maybe fear, maybe weirdness, maybe worry. Maybe you just say, you know, Pastor, you know, we're just about at wit's end. I've, I've heard much of that. I, I've had people, good Christian people say, Pastor, I've never been through anything that has created the anxiety, that, uh, the nervousness, or the, the fear that I'm feeling as I go through this. And humanly, that's very understandable. But now what is the solution? Or is there one? Yes, there is. Here's what the solution is. Now don't miss this. This is the practical part that makes this so needful to make your walk with the Lord and your time in God's Word so meaningful and helpful. The solution is simply to use Scripture. That's it. Use Scripture. So if you're struggling with anxiety, maybe, maybe Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You know, the Bible says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what I do, I appropriate Scripture. I use Scripture. I don't try to say, I don't feel anxious. I'm not struggling with anxiety. No, I do feel anxious. And I am struggling with anxiety. So what do I do? Well, the right thing to do is do what Jesus did. You use Scripture. I love it in the NIV. I just quoted it from the NIV. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation. Boy, I use that verse so much. This past week, I had to go to the dentist. I don't like going to the dentist. I don't even like to drive by the dentist's office on the road. Just, I, I just, but be that as it may, I had to go. And when they, you know, they lure you back, you know, and say, are you comfortable? Well, no, you're not comfortable, you know. You know, is everything okay? No, nothing. You know, you don't, yeah, everything's. But I, in my heart, I said, now, God, that says, do not be anxious about anything. In every situation, I said, God, I'm in a situation. And I prayed that verse, and I lived through it. <laughs> Folks, let me tell you something. Don't we all get in situations? You ought to memorize that verse in the NIV. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in every situation, every time you get in a situation, you ought to pray Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Use Scripture. Now, there are many other verses. That's not the only verse. What, what does a person do, for example, if, if they're distressed? Well, this COVID-19 can distress people. Those distresses. What do we do? Use Scripture. Now, I'll give you the one I use the most. I use numbers. But here, it's, it's Psalm. You ought to jot this down. 16, verse 8. Psalm 16, verse 8. 
I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. See, when we're going through situations, if we're not careful, we put our eyes on the situation. Listen, I didn't share this first service, but it just came to my mind hard. I've, I've claimed that verse, Psalm 16, 8, so many times walking through the halls of M.D. Anderson, through what Dottie went through, I almost could quote that verse backwards. I've said to God so many times, God, we're in another situation here. And God, I'm just going to do what that verse says. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. And with him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. I'm just encouraging this morning, don't just read your Bible. Appropriate what you read in a correct way. That's why you didn't know who wrote the book. That's why you need to know who they wrote the book to. That's why you need to know uh, 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 what the purpose was. And you say, well, look, you know, I've never been to seminary. I can't learn. I don't know all that. Listen, I'll, I'll give you some more good news. You don't have to go to seminary to learn that. Any good study Bible that you can buy before each book in the Bible will have a page or two or three at the most giving you the information, just the basic information about that book. So I'm saying you don't have to be a seminary graduate to know the author of a Bible book or who the recipients were or why the book was written. In, in a page or two, you can learn that, and it just opens Pandora's box. Like, you know, when I think of things that people said, well, you know, when Paul said, you know, do not be anxious about anything, and I think, oh, my gracious, Paul, think of all the things Paul went through. My gracious. And then he said later, I've learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content. Well, if you think about and know what all Paul's been through, you think, great day in the morning. If he somehow could be content in that, I can be content in this. Or, or maybe, maybe your situation is, I had a family say to me recently, Pastor, pray for our family. We're just at wit's end. Have you ever been there? Most of us have been in those times. Just at wit's end. What do you do? Use Scripture. There are many Scriptures to use. I'll suggest one. I use it often. Second Thessalonians, another one of Paul's letters, chapter 3, verse 16. Have you, I've mentioned this before. One of the things that I've wanted to do all my preaching life I've never done is to preach a series of sermons on the 316 verses in the Bible. You've heard me say that before. You say, well, why haven't you done it? I don't know. But some of the best verses in the Bible are 316. John 316, 2 Thessalonians 316 says, now may the, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. So many times in my life, I've said, God, I don't have any peace. I'm in turmoil. God, I'm going to use a scripture. The scripture says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. I said, God, I'm asking you to do that for me right now. It'll work for you. It'll work for all of God's children. 
use the scripture. Sometimes we just feel discouraged and the pandemic has intensified that. Well, there are many good scriptures. I love 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Here's what that verse says. It says that David, listen to this, comforted himself, strengthened himself in the Lord. <laughs> you know, when we're coming apart, so many times we try to find comfort in this and this and that and yonder and him and her and whatever. Folks, let me tell you something. Religion, church, <laughs> I mean, you know, you comfort yourself in the Lord. I've had more phone calls. I've made more phone calls since all this started to members than I've made in 30 plus years I've been here. All the ministers have. And over and over and over, I've had good members say to me, Pastor, pray for me. I've actually quit reading my Bible. I understand. They're good people. They didn't quit believing God. They're just overwhelmed. They're just, they're downcast. And the very thing they've needed to do Somehow it's just they didn't do it this day and they didn't do it another day and they didn't do it another day. Folks, listen to me. That's how the devil works. He's crafty. He's deceitful. I encourage you this morning, oh, listen, before you leave home every day, first thing you need to do is you need to get God's Word. And if it's just a small amount, you, you need to put something in you that's going to help you as you journey through the day. So there is a solution. Whatever you may be struggling with through this or through whatever, do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He used Scripture. Oh, I love these words of Paul. He says, a great and effective door has opened to me. Yes, it has. And there are many adversaries. <laughs> yes, there'll be. You know, I was thinking about it this morning, right now. There's a great door of opportunity open for some of you today to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, and make you a Christian. See, you may have been trusting religion, or you may have been trusting some church, <laughs> or some this, or whatever. Listen, the question is, do you know for absolute certainty that if you were this week to step out into eternity, that you will spend eternity with God in heaven. Do you know you're saved? Well, that's the opportunity this morning. And there'll be that great adversary procrastination to say, do it later, do it later. You know, that wouldn't be bad if we just knew how much time we had, but we don't. So I want you to bow with me this morning. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you've never trusted Jesus, now you may belong to a church, you may belong to this church, you may belong to some other church, you may belong to some other religion, but listen to me, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and accepted His payment for your sin debt and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, come into your life and make you a Christian. Now you don't have to say it in those exact words, 
But they're going to have to mean that. You're going to have to say it, however you say it, where you're saying to God, I trust Jesus alone for the forgiveness of my sins. This morning, if you've never done that, with our heads bowed, our hearts open to the Lord, would you just pray in your heart a prayer like this? Just say, Dear God, thank you that you love me. Thank you you love me so much. You died for me on the cross. God, I'm asking you this morning, just me to you, God. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me a Christian. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus, for my salvation. Thank you, God, today. I didn't procrastinate at the open door I have today. Now, with heads still bowed and others, you may say, well, you know, I've prayed a prayer like that endless times. But I'm not real, I'm not 100% certain that when I die, I'll go to heaven. I think I will. I hope I will. I'm pretty sure I will. But I'm not 100% sure I will. Listen to me carefully. You need to settle your salvation this morning. Don't live the rest of your life in a, in a situation like that. Just say, Lord, if I am saved, give me peace. But God, if I've never just trusted Jesus alone for my salvation, this morning, first Sunday in October, I'm going to settle that. And I do. God, thank you today that I've settled my salvation in Jesus' name.